welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mames, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Chris Johnson, and he'll be answering your questions on fishing the Texas Hill Country. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Chris a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. You'll see a form in the right column of all our website pages. and Just fill in your name, email address, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded. We'll be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. You'll also be able to find it on any of the podcast distribution sites like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Feedspot, uh, Player FM, or any of the other platforms you might be using. So if you have to leave early, you can return uh, to our website or to any of those distribution platforms at your convenience and listen to the recording at any time. If you're out and about on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, we'd sure appreciate it if you'd share our podcast. And when you do, use that hashtag, Ask About Fly Fishing. In fact, if you have a moment, do it right now and uh, open another tab and uh, share, share our knowledge. The content of this broadcast is copyrighted. It's the property of Knowledge Group Inc. doing businesses ask about fly fishing. When we return, we'll be talking with Chris Johnson about fly fishing the Texas Hill Country. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shoreline, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They're well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks, on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website. It's BajaFlyFish.com. Again, that's BajaFlyFish.com. Before we introduce Chris, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. And if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for that link under Chris's section that says, click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a book courtesy of Stackpole Books. So I've got a whole list of titles here, uh, and you know, you'll get to pick from that list of titles should you win today. Now here's how you get a win. You've got to be the first person to answer the question, or it could be a two-part question that I ask at the end of the show. And the question will be about something that uh, Chris and I talk about during the show. Just submit your answer along with your name and your location in the text box on our home page, and, uh, and you may win uh, one of these books. Uh, listen closely, take good notes, and, uh, and hopefully you'll, you'll be the winner. Our guest tonight is Chris Johnson. Chris is the owner and founder of Living Waters Fly Fishing, a fly shop and guide service based out of Round Rock, Texas. He has guided the Texas Hill Country for over a decade and has 
fly fished the heart of the state for 20 years. Chris has been a licensed guide in Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, and Alaska. Chris is an IFF certified casting instructor, UNQA signature fly designer, uh, Tenkara USA guide, and a TPWD angler educator. He's also a pro team member for Whiting Farms, Scott Fly Rods, and Scientific Anglers. Chris is dedicated to sharing his passion for the sport and investing in the next generation of fly anglers. He's often featured a presenter fly tire at fly fishing outdoor and community events throughout the state. Chris and his shop have also been featured in several outdoor publications, including Trout Magazine, Garden and Gun, and Tankara Magazine. He is also awarded the 2014 Man of the Year from the International Fly Fishers Texas Council, and in the same year, Living Waters was the recipient of the International Fly Fishers prestigious Lee Wolf Award. In addition to fly fishing, Chris has, was passionate about film and photography. He co-produced the short film Unspoken in an effort to raise awareness of the Rio Grande Cutthroat Trout Conservation. And as a result, Living Waters is working with Trout Unlimited as a gold level endorsed TU business to restore Rio Grande Cutthroat throughout their native range. Well, Chris, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Roger, thank you so much for having me tonight. Yeah, well, good to have you and talk about uh, Texas. And uh, we, we haven't talked about, about Texas a whole lot, I have to admit, uh, during the past, uh, what, uh, 13 years that I've been doing this. So I think we did some shows on uh, fishing the coast down there, um, the southern uh, coast uh, in the salt, but, uh, but never in, in the heart of Texas like you are. So this will be fun. This will be fun. And uh, people will learn a lot Yeah, about your little bit of paradise down there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Sitting right in the middle of it. Sitting right in the middle of it. Yeah, good. Well, um, and I have to shout out to Odom Wu, who's, who I'm friends with on Facebook, who got me thinking about Texas Hill Country. Um, I swear that he lives and breathes fishing, and, <laughs> and he catches fish like uh, he's fishing out of a barrel. But I know it's not that easy, but he, he has some nice trophies that he's showing on Facebook. So... Um, if folks want to look up Odom Wu out on Facebook, you'll see a lot of his posts and uh, fishing the waters that we're going to talk about tonight. Right, Chris? Odom knows what he's doing. He's a very good friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just amazes me. And he's a good photographer, too. Like, you're interested in photography. He is great shots. Uh, just uh, wonderful fish shots and so forth. So, uh, anyway, I want to shout out because he got us connected and uh, I want to give him credit for that. So. Well, let's talk about uh, Texas Hill Country. First of all, um, uh, where is it? What is Texas Hill Country? That's a really good question, actually. Um, I would say anything kind of the, it's the middle part of Texas, so like right in the middle of the state, if you're just kind of draw a circle in the middle. I-35, the highway kind of runs north and south right down the center of Texas. Anything kind of west of the highway, for the most part, is kind of what we refer to as the Hill Country um, and then from where we're at, like, I, I would say kind of West Austin is kind of where it begins, uh, which is the capital city of Texas. So kind of the western side of Austin, you'll start seeing more of the hills and a little bit of the canyons and some of that clear water stream uh, type environment that we love fishing so much. But then it continues on all the way out through towns like Llano, Mason, Junction. And then if you go to the kind of the southern portions, uh, down towards like Lakey and Concan and stuff like that along the Frio River, that area down there is just absolutely breathtaking. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, does, is it do the hills go west pretty much 
to New Mexico, or how far west do they go? Uh, it really, to be honest, they'll pretty much go uh, like the Devil's River, for instance. Um, the Devil's River has really deep canyons. Uh, it's kind of around like Sonora, Texas, and all that, and Del Rio. Um, kind of that portion of the border along Mexico there, that it kind of stays real hilly and has that real great topography that everybody loves to see out there. Um, and so I mean, it goes pretty much all the way to the border, and then a lot of the hills, even you know when you start going up towards like the New Mexican border, um, you'll start seeing like Guadalupe Mountains National Park and things like that, where that's right on the border of Texas and New Mexico. That's separate from the kind of the hill country area as far as like uh, the fishing environments and things of that sort. But it definitely, I mean, that's where our uh, some of our highest mountains are is up there. Mm, okay. Okay. Um. So the topography is, is kind of just rolling hills. What's the average um, elevation there? Um, I mean, I would say I think right where I'm sitting, somewhere between like six and 700 feet in elevation, so it's not that high. Um, mm -hmm. But, I mean, like if I drive out to like Fredericksburg, Texas, for instance, uh, if I go uh, in between Lando and Fredericksburg, there's a place that hits 2,000 feet in elevation, which I know for Colorado boys ain't that high, but that's one of those things <laughs> that uh, – you know, when you get the hills, it's like you're going from essentially, you know, not a whole lot above sea level to at least a little bit of something. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, yeah. we've, we've got some peaks that are much, much higher than that in Texas, but you're just not going to find them in the hill country. Uh, it's yeah. called hill country for a reason. It's not mountainous. It's just got some real great cliffs and canyons and things like that. Keeps the water moving, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. Got a little yeah. gradient. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the rivers that you fish and guide from your shop there? Uh, and, and your shop is in Round Rock, correct? Which That's is correct. Yeah, it's like 20 minutes north of Austin. It's really, really, really close. Uh, in fact, the Travis County line and Williamson County line, so Austin's in Travis County and Round Rock's in Williamson, uh, the county line's like I think all of three or four minutes south of the fly shop. So we're really, really close. Um, and so we really do kind of service that greater, greater central Texas area and obviously have a lot of our clientele come from Austin. Okay. Okay. And um, so, what are the what are some of the rivers you fish and guide on around there, around your shop? So, really, immediately, Brushy Creek is my home water. That's the place that uh, I've lived in Round Rock. Uh, I think it's 26 or 27 years now. I can't remember, um, but it, it's been a while. And that's the creek that I grew up fishing. Uh, it was just we moved down here uh, when I was really, really young from the Dallas area. So. Uh, I am a Texas native, but we moved down here when I was real young, and every bit of fly fishing I learned to do in Texas was done in the hill country. And that's how I grew up is on Brushy Creek. It is literally right – it flows right through the heart of downtown Round Rock. Uh, my fly shop now is just a couple blocks from it. If you hop in the car and drive from the fly shop to the creek, it should take you a grand total of about 90 seconds. Hmm. Very close. So, so that's really close, and it's got – it's a really special place. So that's one of them that uh, is real close to home. We're also really close to the San Gabriel River, uh, which is the next town north of us is Georgetown. It runs right through Georgetown. It has two forks, a north and a south fork, and they're both very fishable and just a wonderful place to fish. Uh, a little bit further west, we guide the Llano River as well. It's about anywhere from an hour and a quarter uh, to the closest access to when you go out to the headwaters near Junction, you're probably getting a little closer to three hours. Um, it, but it's amazing. It's, it, it's something that when people think Hill Country River, they think the Llano. It's very, it, I kind of call it the quintessential Hill Country River. It's really a great spot for that. A lot of people paint pictures of it and a lot of photography there. It's just wonderful. So uh, we love that river. We spend a lot of time on it. 
Um, we've got the San Marcos River. It's about 45 minutes to an hour south of us. Uh, and it's an incredibly, uh, it, it's a great river. It's actually spring-fed uh, right there uh, in the town of San Marcos. So the upper river actually remains fairly temperature constant, much like a tailwater would be below a dam, except for this one just coming right up out of the ground. Uh, mm -hmm. So that really makes it, uh, in the cooler months, actually productive uh, when other warm water species kind of shut down, that river stays pretty constant. If you go a little bit further south, we've got the Guadalupe River. It's the southernmost trout tailwater in the U.S. It is a renowned tailwater. We have a very, uh, right now we're in the middle of what we kind of have as an unofficial Texas trout season. Uh, we've got boats on the water every single day, and it's just absolutely crazy down there. So it's it's amazing that that river has many sides to it that people don't know about, and it's a lot of fun to fish. But that's kind of the bulk of what we do is kind of the Guadalupe, the San Marcos, the Lano, Brushy Creek, and the San Gabriel. And then we obviously fish a bunch of the other ones just for fun, but we don't run trips on those at this point. Okay, okay. So there's even more more places to fish. Uh, oh, uh, I, barely, but, uh, I barely scratched the surface. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Well, we have some kind of general questions, and then we'll, uh, we'll come back to each one of these fisheries and, and have you talk more about each one of those. Uh, but let's, let's hit some of these general questions. Uh, Scott DeMoss in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. He says, I've seen a bit written about overnight kayak canoe trips with riverside camping. Can you recommend some of the better river options for this? Uh, my kids are over the moon at the prospects of such a trip in Texas to catch some of the more rare fish in the region. Absolutely. That's a great question. And one of the great things about Central Texas is the way that, um, like especially on our larger rivers, they're all navigable. So like the Llano River, for instance, you can wade anywhere in that riverbed, and it's navigable, which means that Texas owns the riverbed. Uh, like, for instance, in places in Colorado, you can't even drop a boat anchor without trespassing. That is not That's the right. case on the Llano. So you can yeah. actually put in a boat at a public access, float to your takeout, and as long as you are in that riverbed, whether it be camping, if there's an island, you've got free reign of it. It actually belongs to the state of Texas. Um, so that's really fantastic. The Lano is a good river for some overnight camping options, as there are some lengthier floats. One of the real popular ones that, uh, that I, I think more people really try to do this now. Uh, it used to be kind of the final frontier of Texas, but now it's uh, through a lot of, uh, I would say, articles and a lot of just kind of public awareness of the river. The Devil's River, kind of in the westernmost portion of the hill country, uh, some of the only ways to fish that is to actually get in a kayak canoe, and do the overnight trips uh, because there's so little public access on that river. So those are ones that if you're more adventurous, they're good. You mentioned kind of the rare fish in the region. And for Scott, if he's wanting to come out and fish, we've got two species. We have more than this, but there's two species of fish here that I would say like are just absolutely must-haves if you're coming to the area. And that's our state fish, the Guadalupe bass, which is incredible. And it's a very, very hard-fighting fish. It's really scrappy. They're indigenous only to Central Texas, which is awesome. So they're very unique. It's its own species. And then we've also got the Rio Grande cichlid, uh, which is also a native species of cichlid. It's the only native cichlid to the U.S., and it looks like nothing else we have in this country. It is absolutely a fantastic fish to, to catch, and I think I'll, we'll spend some more time about each of those later in the, in the show. But yeah. Uh, yeah. those are ones that on the Lano you've got shots at both of those, and it's a really good place to kind of plan a day trip like that. When you said uh, back to your um, uh, the water rights, is it just the river bed or is it to the high water mark like it is in Montana? So I will say this: there, 
I, I'm not going to go on record for doing anything legal on a radio show, but the, <laughs> the thing that, uh, that I will say is Texas water law is written vaguely so that it can be interpreted widely. Um, okay. And, and the moral of the story is the guy with the shotgun usually wins. Um, but none of the, yeah, that's what I was going to say. In Texas, there's also a lot of guns. <laughs> there are, there are, but uh, the, the good news is, like on the Lano, for instance, it's supposed to be like high median flow or high average flow mark to high average flow mark. Um, there, are, there are two kinds of uh, categorizations of navigability, and those are big words for saying there's two ways of saying that you can be there or not be there. Uh, there's navigable by fact, which means that there are literally motorboats running up and down the river. Um, so like the Colorado River um, east of Austin, that's a wonderful fishery. It actually is the place where um, the world record and state record Guadalupe Bass came out of. You can run a jet boat on that river, uh, and even a larger craft if you wanted to. There's some, a few hazards to navigate, but, I mean, it's a great kayaking river as well. Um, but that's a place that's navigable by fact. You've got motorized craft running up and down the river. Um, no. Navigable by statute is it's 30 feet from, I won't say high water mark because we flood so bad here, but basically high average flow mark to high average flow mark. So what, what could be considered a bank full stage uh, of the river, essentially. So if 30 feet in width or better, you're pretty much good. So the way I tell people is that the river, if the water that you see or you can see that regularly flows from, if it's roughly three fly rods wide, you're good. I mean, you can, you can walk anywhere on it. And there are some exceptions to that, uh, and there are few and far between as far as being restrictive. Um, but there's also some, like Brushy Creek, for instance, that, you know, there are landowners that actually do own the property to the center line of the river. But since sections of the creek are considered navigable, that trumps land ownership and deed rights any day of the week on Brushy Creek. So that's a lot of fun. Okay, okay, interesting, yeah. Well, it's certainly better than, like you say, Colorado or Wyoming, uh, you know, where <laughs> the, everybody owns to the middle of the river and you can't even drop an acre. It's, it's really tough in, in some places to know. It can be. The one thing that those states, know. yeah, and the one thing that those states have is you've got a lot of public access through national forests, which sadly we don't have a lot of here. Um, mm. The thing that's encouraging, though, is the fact that even though we don't have the public land, we have a lot of public water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, good, good. Um, Phil McCartney in Kentucky uh, wrote in, and he says, I remember hearing about the lack of rain in Texas causing awful problems, followed by flooding. Were the affected areas the same? Was the area you are discussing recently impacted by dramatic uh, weather fluctuations? I would say this, uh, and having lived here my whole life, Texas weather, if I were to sum it up in just a single statement, Texas weather is an extended period of drought punctuated by flooding. So the, is the, I mean, some of the floods are more severe. I would say, like, for instance, the Llano River was very much affected in certain areas, and then other portions of the river were not as affected. So it really kind of depends on where the rain fell, where the river flash flooded. But, like, for instance, I've seen Brushy Creek, for instance, which is I'm sitting a couple of minutes away from it right now. Um, I've seen it come up 25 feet or 20 feet, something like that, in a day. And mm. as soon as it recedes, wow. the fishing goes back to normal, everything's good. Yeah, it may have taken out some trees and everything, but a lot of the fish populations, they know how to get out of the way because they're really good at doing that. Uh, the Lano River uh, on this last flood, it was so large, we actually did suffer quite a bit of loss. Um, but in recent surveys, uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife saying that it's rebounding quite well. 
Um, and I did do some fishing on that in the fall, and we're starting to see the same thing. So I'm very, very encouraged about where it's headed. Um, so yeah, it does have an effect, but not all rivers are affected through a single rain event, and it very much depends on almost exactly where the rain fell. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, let's, uh, oh, uh, Phil had one more question. I, I don't know about this, but he says, uh, when a Texan says, I caught a six-inch bass, is that person referring to the distance between the eyes? Oh, most definitely. We grow them that big. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> They're all that big, huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah, everything's bigger in Texas. You've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me take a quick break here, Chris, and uh, be right back, and uh, we'll talk more Perfect. about fishing in the Texas Hill Country. Looking for that shot at a permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from some of the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key uh, is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipprayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Chris Johnson about uh, fly fishing the Texas Hill Country. If you'd like to ask Chris a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. And we'll try to answer as many of the questions you send in as we can tonight. Um, Chris, I always ask my guests at this point in the show, you know, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So tell us a little bit about your business and what you do down there in Texas. Certainly. So I own and uh, operate Living Waters Fly Fishing. It's a uh, guide service and full service fly shop here in Round Rock, Texas. Um, I've actually guided the hill country. I think it's I think it's something like 13 or 14 years now. I can't remember. Um, and the the business originally started out as that, and we uh, I opened a fly shop at a ripe old age of 21 from scratch. And so I didn't have any wealthy benefactors to help uh, finance the thing. Um, wow. But it, we started it from the ground up. And if you know anything about opening a fly shop in uh, 2008, that was not a great year to do that. But uh, by the grace of God, through much prayer and a lot of hard work, uh, we're we're going to turn 12 this next June. So. We're, we're just ecstatic. We've got a really vibrant community of anglers and, and just people that really love our water. And uh, so mm -hmm. we have Saturday events. We really have treated the, uh, the shop as an education center. We started in a little bitty tiny building, uh, and then it moved once. We actually expanded within that space, and then we moved again. And now we actually have a standalone, just absolutely gorgeous store in downtown Round Rock, Texas, which is it's historic. We have all kinds of great stories about outlaws and shootouts and that sort of stuff. So it's really great to have that history right there in downtown. But uh, the thing that's really great about it is we have kind of tailored that store to really serve as an education center. And we do free events on the weekends. We don't charge people to come up. They can come learn as much as they want. And uh, right now the reason I'm actually not doing this broadcast in the fly shop is we've got, I have no idea how many people in there tonight. It, it was busy when I left. We do a fly tying night that's free to the public every single Wednesday night, and we do uh, beginning fly tying and intermediate fly tying and round table fly tying where you can just tie anything you want every single Wednesday. And sometimes on those, we'll get 50-plus people coming to those on just a weeknight. So it's a really great community. The shop is always bustling. There's something going on, and we've got a great events list on our website that people can check out, and we're obviously really active on uh, 
social media as well. We've got Facebook, Instagram, all that. And so we'd love to have people follow us and kind of see what we're doing. We post pictures uh, of the different fish species, where we're catching them, and different events that we have going on at the store. So we love just kind of connecting with the community. And if you're ever in the area, just to have folks stop by, and we'll give you the give you the lowdown on what's going on and hopefully get you on uh, some of the specialties in our area. Yeah, that sounds great. What's, uh, why don't you uh, give people the website and say it twice so that uh, they for sure Yeah, certainly. It's livingwatersflyfishing.com. And again, that's livingwatersflyfishing.com. Waters, waters is plural, livingwatersflyfishing.com. Uh, and that website will have you know just some river information and things like that on it. But uh, if you want to stay real up to date on it, hop on our social media. There's links to that on there as well to where you can just click those and kind of follow us on social media. So we do a lot of... Uh, a lot of reports, a lot of kind of guide updates, and then we, we post a lot about our different fish species and kind of what's going on. Good. Sounds great. Sounds like fun. All right. Well, let's get back and talking about uh, fishing uh, down there in your part of the country. Tom Faulkner from Royce City, Texas, wrote in, and he says, what, what would be the best time of year to hit these areas? So first off, Royce City. I have actually broke down in Royce City one time on my way to the Lower Mountain Fork River in uh, in southeast Oklahoma, I used to guide up there for several years, and I broke down in Royce City, and there's a gas station there that I spent way too many hours at. But anyway, that's a, <laughs> another story for another day. But uh, <laughs> I see Royce City, and I'm like, oh, man, oh, those, no. are sweet people, but that's a, those are sweet people, but I've spent a lot of time at one gas station. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah it, anyway, the, the best time of year, honestly, the thing that's great about Texas, it is a 365-day-a-year fishery. We've got the Texas coast, we've got the hill country, we've got, you know, all sorts of different stuff. And in the dead of winter when the warm water stuff is slow, the Guadalupe River with our tailwater trout is just going full bore. So the, the good news is there's really not a bad time. If you're after warm water species and some of the kind of the rarities, if you will, the Guadalupe bass and the Rio Grande cichlids, uh, I like the what I, what I call kind of the shoulder seasons where you've got the, the spring I would say kind of mid to late spring, it's utterly fantastic. And then I would say kind of early fall where you kind of hit that, you know, the weather's starting to cool, but we're not getting the real severe cold fronts. If I had to peg two months out of the year, May and October. Give me May and October, and I'm about the happiest person in the world. It's awesome. And you can catch Rio Grande cichlids really well within those time frames. But don't let the hot weather scare you off. I mean, I know that we have – you know, daytime temps that reach over 100 in the dead of summer, and yeah, it gets a little little rough. But wet waiting helps kind of mitigate some of the uh, some of the fatigue on that. And the other part is our fish really don't slow down. A lot of our hill country creeks, like Brushy Creek, for instance, are totally shaded, and so you can kind of beat the heat, stay out of the sun, and the fishing still rock solid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Rafael Torres in Austin, Texas, asked, uh, "Where in the U.S. state and general area is your favorite?" place to fish, and uh, what's your favorite stream side lunch? <laughs> so, for one, I know Raphael really well. I just saw him this weekend at one of our uh, Trout Unlimited youth camps, and uh, he's probably baiting me with this question because he knows that I'm, I'm a split. I have some split loves here, and that is I've, I grew up a missionary kid, so my, my dad's a full-time missionary, and uh, and so we I've fished all over the world as a result, so that's really I have a lot of favorites, but as far as like in the U.S., if you had to give me one spot, man, I love the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, kind of that southern Colorado, northern New Mexico. That's pretty fantastic. I love Rio Grande Cutthroat. I'm really passionate about that fish. I've done a lot of conservation work with it. I'm actually headed up to Santa Fe next week to uh, 
go to a conservation meeting up there with the, all the all the state departments and wildlife organizations. Um, so I, I'm very passionate about that fish, but one of the things that I like so much is that that area so well ties into the area I fish, which is Central Texas. I actually do a presentation at a lot of fly clubs and different events throughout uh, the state, and I've even done it out of state a little bit, and that's fly fishing the Republic of Texas. The old Republic of Texas went all the way up into southern Colorado and beyond, and so it's really interesting because so many of those fishing techniques stay very much the same. And uh, so it, it's really cool that we have such similarities and even some similarities in the hill country and plant life, for instance. It's, it's really neat to see some of the, some of the similarities throughout and even the, the fishing stuff. So I would say that I like to, my favorite area is the old Republic of Texas. If I had to pick one area, that's it. Uh, and then the favorite streamside lunch, I know that's a large area, but I couldn't, I couldn't narrow it down. And then favorite streamside lunch is absolutely Texas barbecue. Oh. So, uh, and somebody that I know that most people on this show that are listening will be familiar with is Hillary Hutchison. She came down to uh, our Guadalupe River Trout Fest this last year, and uh, one of our guides, Griff, was guiding her, and uh, I said, hey, don't pack lunch. And he goes, what? I was like, I'm bringing barbecue, man. <laughs> and so I was like, if so you what is, all the way down from, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask you, what is Texas barbecue? Because barbecue is different around the country, so. So I know this, I don't want to start any fights here, but this is the, the whole deal is I brought barbecue, and when we bring barbecue, we bring a lot of it. But uh, Texas barbecue, I mean, a lot of times it's going to be more of like, uh, it's going to be slow smoked. I mean, I'm a little partial because my, my dad honestly makes the best brisket I've ever had in my life. So getting barbecue out is kind of a hard thing. But, you know, brisket, ribs, sausage, all that sort of good stuff you're going to find. Uh, there's even a couple places locally that do a really good smoked sirloin. Um, but like if you order a barbecue sandwich, it's not going to have coleslaw on it. You don't want to ruin really good meat with vegetables. That's just not a good idea. And uh, you just don't. Save that for your side. That is a side in Texas, not an addition to a sandwich. Uh, and you're going to have, you know, it's just really bold flavors. It's phenomenal to melt in your mouth. And, uh, you, I mean, it is very realistic to eat too much and you get the meat sweats, man. It's it's amazing. Like it, you, can, you can straight up go into a meat. A meat coma after fishing. It's awesome. Is the sauces you use down there, do they tend to be sweeter or more vinegary? Not vinegary. I'd say by and large, uh, most of them are going to be sweeter in nature, kind of a bold as opposed to the vinegar. You'll see some places that do use the vinegar, and I'm even familiar with a few places that they don't have sauce. They're like, if our meat needs sauce, then we're doing it wrong. So it's like, whoa, whoa. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you're, yeah, if you're so particular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there, I mean, that's the deal. Is it's like religion, politics, and barbecue. What do you want to pick your fight about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I just read a book called Cooked, and I'm not going to remember the uh, uh, Poulter, Poultry. Uh, I can't remember the author's last name. Anyway, he goes through the different things of um, uh, fire, you know, air and earth, and you know the different things that we cook with or process food mm -hmm. with, like. Air would be baking, you know, fire would be barbecuing, grilling, uh, you know, earth would be pickling, you know, kimchi in jars, that kind of stuff. Anyway, he goes through this whole thing of the barbecue. I think it was in North Carolina, he was, or South Carolina. But there, barbecue means a whole roasted uh, pig. And, and right. then you chop it all up and mix the different parts of the pig, and you put a little sauce in there. And that's barbecue. Anything else is not barbecue. <laughs> so, Ooh. But, uh, Ooh, so easy, but I also easy. was kind of 
partial to Kansas City barbecue, and then I went to, I think, North Carolina and uh, went to get barbecue, and it was all vinegary and, you know, much different than, than what uh, Kansas City's done. I've been to KC. They've got some good Q, but, uh, man, if you if, – I mean, if somebody asked me, you know, what, what is Texas barbecue, I'm just simply going to say the best. So yeah. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Enough of that. Enough of that. Wow. 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 A food fight here in a minute over barbecue. You're going to get some hate mail off this one, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's see. What else we got here? We got uh, John uh, in Houston, and he says, I've begun the task of casting a switch rod. For the Texas Hill Country, will this technique be useful in, in many locations or wind up not being worth the effort to learn? Do you give switch rod lessons? <laughs> so <laughs> great. Um, actually, you're really close to one of the best teachers in the state. So not to not to sell myself short, but there is a, a gentleman by the name of Gary Davison that's actually in the Houston area, and he is a very wonderful casting instructor friend of mine and one of the most beautiful spay casters. His cast just holds the loop that's ridiculous with a two-handed rod. And since he's right in your neck of the woods, I'm going to shamelessly throw a plug out there for him. Uh, I do teach plenty of lessons like that, but since you're so close to him and he's one of the best I'll ever know, Give Gary a call. So he is, he is a wonderful instructor and a dear friend. Um, but the answer is a switch rod can actually be a pretty great tool. I don't really use them personally in my fishing, but I use that style of casting a lot. So the, the thing about being a casting instructor as well, that the principles of casting remain the same, no matter how many hands you use. Some of the leverage and stuff changes but as far as, you know, keeping a straight line with the rod tip and, you know, actually the acceleration to a stop and all the things that kind of stay the same. When you integrate another hand into it, some of the leverage and positioning changes. But a lot of what I do personally in the Hill Country, and it is, it is invaluable. If you robbed it from me, I don't know what I'd do, is I use a lot of single-hand spay techniques, uh, you know, snap tees and uh, you know, small little single spay casts and change of direction stuff. It just works out so, so well uh, in our rivers and allows us, because, I mean, so much of the time it is brushy behind us. And we are casting, in some cases, heavier flies. So to be able to have that uh, momentum already built when we form a D-loop and let the thing fire, it, it is invaluable. I just absolutely love the art of single-hand spay. And I do teach that quite a bit. So that's something that uh, I feel like if you've not given that a try, Everybody deserves to try that. And, it, and once you start doing it, you can't stop. It is so wonderful. It's just, it's, it's as easy as walking down the street once you actually learn the techniques. Good, good. Okay. Um, uh, we have, um, oh, and, and John also asked, he, he asked, um, how about taking a nine-year-old boy on a guided float trip? No fly fishing, just some worms and a bobber. What do you think of that, Chris? So personally, I've got two kids. One of them is uh, my little boy's nine months and my little girl just turned three. And we take them fishing all the time. And that's one of the things that my wife and I both do is we're really passionate about fly fishing as a family. So nine years old is like my, my kid better be double hauling like 70 feet by then. Yeah, double hauling at 70 feet at nine years old. I, I think Lydia's a good enough caster already at three. I think we've got this. But uh, and, but we will let her do it at her choosing. I will never force her to do anything. But the the thing that's funny about this is the we had a – I have a great story about this. Is I had a, a gentleman that brought his son on a guide trip. He wanted him to learn how to fly fish. And we were just doing a wade fish uh, trip on the San Gabriel River, 15, more, uh, 15 minutes north of the shop. And we dropped in there and – the gentleman had fly fished plenty of times. The, the guide trip was really about his son. He goes, look, I'll, 
he said, you give me the flies that I need to use. I'll go, I'll go catch some fish and just take care of him, make sure he has a great morning. And we just had a four-hour half day to keep his attention span locked. And so we get in there, and I could see the kid was struggling with the fly rod. And I tried it the best I could to really get it to where he could, you know, retrieve a fly, work the line back out. And it was pretty clear that in a four-hour trip with no prior lessons, that was not going to happen. Uh, but as you mentioned in my in kind of the introduction, we also do a lot of guide work with uh, Tinkara, Tinkara rods through Tinkara USA. And I know there's some pretty strong opinions about Tinkara, and, it, and it's funny because, I, you know, just like you can argue about barbecue, you can argue about Tinkara. And I know, yeah. there's people on, I know there's people on both sides of the equation. If you've never tried it, then just don't knock it till you tried it. And everybody's like, well, isn't that just the same as cane polling? And I'm like, absolutely not. Uh, and to the point where the how would you define what is fly fishing? Well, that is the weight of the line actually creating the cast and carrying a like a weightless or near weightless fly to the target. You know, and so that's what Tinkara is doing. You're still forming a loop. You're still making a cast. You still have to have that skill set. It's just a in a fixed equation, if you will. There's not addition or subtraction of line during the cast. And so that's what it's all about. Well, I bust out that rod for this kid. And it was amazing. He caught fish left, right, and sideways. And, like, his dad, the best part, I'll never forget this about this trip. He went from catching one fish on a conventional fly rod in the first, like, half hour. And by the time we were done, the, the boy had single-handedly caught 50 fish. And he announced every single one numerically to his dad to let him know how bad he was getting his rear hand to do it. <laughs> and so we were – and I asked him, I said, how many fish do you think we're going to catch today? And he goes, you think we could catch 10? I said, I bet we could catch 10. And he got to 10. I was like, well, now what are you going to do? He goes, you think we could catch 20? I said, I bet we could catch 20. We get to 50. I was like, son, you've had a good day. Let's go home. <laughs> so yeah, it really? Nice. Yeah. It's awesome. So for us, any time that we have kids and stuff like that, including my own kids, a lot of times we'll introduce them to Tinkara just because it teaches them the basics of the cast. They're able to manipulate the fly. They're, they do feel the bite. It's extraordinarily sensitive. And they get the reward of actually getting to play out the fish. And, and it's great with sunfish and small bass. Uh, but I've even oh, yeah. pushed the limits on Tinkara. I mean, I've caught five- and six-pound channel cats on it. I've caught three-pound largemouth on it. We've caught 20-plus-inch trout on it. And uh, I, I love all the naysayers. Like, well, it's just not fly fishing. I'm like, well, then great. Neither is check nymphing because there's no fly or fly line out the guides. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, we did a show with, uh, well, we, with uh, Daniel Gallardo uh, twice now. And yeah. Did a show with Karen yeah, Miller, actually, who's like the, yeah. the queen of getting big fish on Tenkara. I mean, big fish, tarpon, yeah. you know, salmon. So, yeah, uh, you know, you got to try it. <laughs> that's all I can yeah, say. Yeah, and, and Daniel, Daniel actually came down to Trout Fest one year, and he actually fished uh, – Rushy Creek with us one year, and I watched him do some things that literally defy reason. Like, he caught a massive bass on, I think, what was three, I think it was only 5X tippet and a size 14 fly. I mean, I think the fish was like three, three and a half pounds. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. But, I mean, right here in Rushy Creek in, in Round Rock. So, he, he yeah. has been there, done that in our neck of the woods. Yeah, good. Uh, Dan in Miami, Miami, Florida, um, he says, I'm often in Dallas, uh, in Dallas on business trips, and in the summer the days are pretty long, so I have a good opportunity to fish from 5 p.m. to sunset. Where would you recommend I fish in the Dallas metro area for maximum productivity for trout or anything else? Do you know that area, okay, so uh, Chris? Not, not extraordinarily well, but I have a lot of friends that do. So I, we moved from there when I was really young, um, and I don't, to be honest, most of the Dallas metro area is made up of, there's a lot of lakes and things like that. 
Um, but the two, there's a couple places I'd send them. For one, there's a really great shop up there by the name of Tailwaters. They're going to know a lot of the metro area pretty well. But the other thing that I think is really kind of more of your boots-on-the-ground approach, too, is you've got a couple of really great fly fishing clubs up there. You know, the Fort Worth Fly Fishers and the Dallas Fly Fishers. And if you're uh, free in the evenings, then that's when their meetings are. So whichever one you're closer to, they're both very active and very large clubs. And I know some guys who know how to creek stomp that area. And, and I mean, if you wanted to go up there and go fish for a couple hours somewhere, they are going to know that, and I know that they would probably be willing to go with you and show you around. So absolutely get, get in contact with those clubs, and you will have more water accessible to you than you know what to do with. Good. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about Brushy Creek and dig in deep here to learn about that fishery. So hold on tight, and we'll be right back. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with highest quality inflatables on the market as well as an unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kick floats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Chris Johnson about fly fishing the Texas Hill Country. If you'd like to ask Chris a question, just uh, go to our homepage and askaboutflyfishing.com and use that P&A text box to send us your question. We'll see it immediately, and we'll try to get it answered on the show here tonight. Okay, uh, Chris, Brushy Creek. You had mentioned earlier, but, but why don't you repeat, and I don't know if we should use Round Rock as a hub um, or Austin or, or, you know, to give people directions on where it is in that area. Yeah, certainly. Um, and, and this is my home water, so this is, uh, this is near and dear to my heart. But I would say, like, as far as the hub of Brushy Creek, we'll use Round Rock, because most people don't okay. know this, but the, the city of Round Rock actually was named Brushy Creek before it was renamed after a landmark. So that's the, uh-huh. uh, the pretty cool thing about it. So where is it at? I would say it's 20 minutes north of Austin, flows right through downtown Round Rock, it's an amazing okay. fishery. So, uh, and it's it, the creek actually is quite long. Uh, it's actually 69 miles long at its full length. It has its headwaters west of Round Rock, probably about 25 minutes or so west of Round Rock, and it goes all the way east and converges with the San Gabriel River down near Rockdale, Texas. Okay, and is it a uh, is it fish? Is, is the whole creek fishable from the headwaters the, on down? The headwaters can be a little restrictive in the fact that that water is not always navigable because it is so narrow. Um, I would say particularly on the North Fork of Brushy Creek. The South Fork of Brushy Creek, however, is predominantly fishable throughout its length. Only the only like the absolute uppermost portion is not just due to private property. But the great part about the South Fork is that it mostly runs through parkland. And so the accessibility from a bank access is phenomenal. So it's a great wet wade. It's really narrow. And there's some really shockingly large fish in there. So uh, Rushy Creek is really, it just has so many different sides to it. Um, and we do treat it like a different fishery in each place we go. So when you go west, it gets smaller. Through Round Rock kind of reaches its average size. Uh, and then as you head east, it gets a little bit wider. 
uh, and you can use a little bit longer rods, and also there will be some bigger fish in play as well. Now, do you, is it all weight fishing there, or is that floatable? Is it navigable? There? The easternmost portions are floatable, and the floats are can be a little sketchy depending on floods and deadfall and things like that. Uh, so you kind of have to use your head when you go do them. Most of what we do is wade fishing. There are a few places we can put boats in, but I would say 90-plus percent of our fishing is done on foot. And what kind of boats can you Can you use a hard boat, or does it need to be a rubber raft? Or? Uh, you could use a kayak, canoe. Uh, that previous advertisement for Watermaster, those are fantastic down there. That's awesome. Okay. Like, that's a great boat for that creek because it allows okay. you to literally drop, drop through the bottom of it and stand up. So, I mean, yeah. shameless plug yeah. there. Those, those are fantastic boats. Yeah. Okay. Um, Carl Palmer in Henrietta, Georgia, I think, is where Henrietta is. Uh, what, uh, he asked, what kinds of fish would you find in Brushy Creek near, uh, is it Huto, Hutto, Texas? Hutto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hutto, Texas. That's, yeah, that's just, just east of uh, where I'm at right now. Um, okay, so Brushy Creek does April run right. Yeah, April, yeah. It, it, the fish species, you're not really going to have any variation in what's present in the creek, but you're going to have what's, I would say, eager to bite, if you will. Uh, April's a great month. I love, especially late April. Late April is just like, it's almost like heaven on earth on this creek. So the fish species list is actually really, really long. You're going to have largemouth bass. You'll have Guadalupe bass. There's obviously carp. You've got several kinds of catfish. Our sunfish species, I mean, you can catch all these in one trip. There's long-ear sunfish, red-breast sunfish, red-ear sunfish, green sunfish, bluegill, warmouth. I mean, there's so many different sunfish. And then we also have Rio Grande cichlids present in that Hutto stretch as well. And uh, there's gar down there. We've seen other types, you know, like other rough fish like buffalo. You've got those. Uh, and, and there's so, I mean, and I, haven't even, I haven't even gotten all of it, but those are all present in, in the creek wow. pretty much at all times. And we even have some really rare fish. We have a, like a lot of people are familiar with mullet. It's a saltwater bait fish. Uh, I was out a couple of months ago. And we were uh, we had Alice Owsley in for a speaking engagement. We were taking her down the creek to go catch her first Guadalupe bass, and uh, which she did get. I was really happy for considering it was the dead of winter. But we saw a mountain mullet, and a mountain mullet is a saltwater fish that makes its way really really far inland. So whether that fish or its you know parent or grandparent came from the coast up the it was up the Brazos River, up the Little River, into the San Gabriel River, up Rushy Creek. So there's only been. Uh, there's only that's the third one that's ever been mentioned that has been seen in the creek since like the 1930s. Wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so some cool stuff, man. We've got some really neat fish in there. Yeah, now, so um, so that brings up, you know, what kind of strategies and techniques are you using? I mean, when you go down to Brushy Creek, you just mentioned a whole lot of fish. They can't all be in one area, so uh, <laughs> the habitat differ as you go down the creek. You're running into more you know, Guadalupe bass or largemouth, or how does that so lay out? Here's the, here's the crazy part. All those fish are pretty much present throughout the entire system at all times. Like, you can go to one single location and find all of those fish at one time. Do your techniques determine what you're going to catch, or is it kind of... Uh, yeah. I'm, it, it, a lot okay. of it has to do with, uh, like, say, for instance... Um, you know, a lot of it, like in the upper creek, we'll just use Round Rock, for example. It's kind of right in the middle. We have a stretch of the creek here in Round Rock. It actually flows along Harry Man Road. Don't, the, the history of the road is kind of funny. 
but yes, that's Harry Man Road. So if you want to look that up, that's a, a lot of public access. It's beautiful water. It's a crazy name on a road. In fact, we actually, my wife and I got married at a wedding venue that was on Harry Man Road. We actually used the county road name because we didn't want Harry Man Road on our invitation. But anyway, so the the creek itself, when you change techniques, like for a Rio Grande cichlid, um, it depends on the time of year. Most of the time, I'm putting a fly that has a decent degree of weight to it to where it actually gets down to the bottom closer to where they feed. And I don't see a whole lot of surface activity from those except for during surface, like certain times of the year. Bass, you're going to go more bait fish or crawfish oriented. Uh, the carp in the river, mostly damselflies. So, I mean, you can literally go through a fly box and by switching certain flies and different patterns and things like that, you wind up like actually changing what you're catching by altering your flies. And if there was any one piece of advice I would give anyone that came to fish Brushy Creek is if you have ever trout fished, treat Brushy Creek like a trout river that has zero trout in it. Like, it's, it's amazing because all of our fish, it's an insect-based fishery. Our hatches on that creek are insane, and they go all winter long, which is, in, like, it's awesome. There's always something going on bug-wise, and our fish respond to those bugs at all times. And so we are, I mean, we're so blessed with having that right in town because it is such a neat kind of symbiotic relationship between the fish and the bugs and just the way they respond to hatches. It, it really... I have not fished anywhere in the hill country where they respond to flies, like actual hatches, like they do on Brushy Creek. It very much is kind of trout fishery-esque, if you will. What kind of hatches do you get? Oh, we get, I mean, we get trichos, we get caddis, we get blueing olives, we get a ton of little oddball mayflies, we get micro caddis, like little bitty size 20s and stuff like that. Uh, and then we get like some big bugs, like helgramites, those Dobson flies, those are incredible. Those don't really hatch all at one time, but you'll see the the, the larval form of it all in there all the time. And then, you know, obviously, we have like small bait fish, crayfish, um, you know, damselflies, dragonflies, you name it. So there's a, there's a pretty good. I mean, there's scuds in the river. You got all kinds of stuff. I mean, I've waded out of the creek oh, before. My waders are just covered in scuds. So I mean, it's it's incredible. It, it's a really really rich ecosystem. When you said um, fish it like trout stream, but with no trout in it. Okay, I, I don't know that I'm getting that. <laughs> so I mean, basically, if you're, fish it, if, yeah, fish it like you would a trout stream. There's just no trout in Brushy Creek. You're going to want to catch everything else. Yeah, sorry. That, but yeah, you got, so fish it like you you got all, the, river. You know, all the holding, the lies, and so forth. You'd fish those very similarly. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. Our, our Guadalupe bass actually respond. Uh, it's basically a green trout is what it is. I mean, it, it, it's a little bit more voracious and will, you know, obviously attack a topwater bug a lot, a lot more mm -hmm. <laughs> abusively, if you will. But I mean, it, it's, it's pretty raw. Bass fishing does have that little bit of, it's got just a little smear of red neckery to it, which is good. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that's cool is that in, we nymph up fish all the time. I've caught fish, like really big Guadalupe bass, on elk hair caddis, dead dripping them. So, I mean, it, it, it's really neat because you can get them where they chase a streamer. You can get them where they sip a dry fly. You never know what's going to happen, and that's the part that's so fun about it, is that creek keeps me on my toes. And our sunfish? I've had sunfish on that creek refuse a size 20. I've never seen that done anywhere on the planet. <laughs> like, sunfish get this rap of being just absolutely stupid and eager to put anything in their mouth, and there's certain times of year that that is 100% accurate. But when, when our, like, betas hatches and our trico hatches and our little bitty midge hatches are coming off, 
they don't want an 18. They want a 20 or a 22. And it's just incredible okay. to see how dis – and they're not small sunfish. I mean, these things are, you know, some of them are 9, 10 inches long eating these things. That's a big sunfish. Yeah, yeah. We got a question in from uh, Rod Brashears in uh, Amarillo. And he says, yeah. when targeting Guadalupe bass, what is your go-to fly? You just rattled off about 10 flies a minute ago. But. They're, they're all my go-tos. No, yeah. the, the, uh, the, I have really two patterns that, that I would say, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be these, but these are the ones that really work for me. Um, if I, I've got two that I've really kind of developed over the years, one of which I've tied longer than I've actually had a fly shop, and that's, we actually call it the Brushy Creek Streamer. Um, the Brushy Creek Streamer is a very, very simple pattern to tie. Um, somewhere out there, um, I tied one. Um, it, I think it's on YouTube. If you look up Brushy Creek Streamer, uh, our Guadalupe River Trout Unlimited chapter actually did a video for it. Um, the, the, the fly is laugh like it's laughable how simple it is, but it is incredibly effective. I've caught trout on it. We catch sunfish on it, Rio Grande cichlids on it. It is my number one Guadalupe bass producer. But in that creek, there is nothing that I have found that will outproduce it. Um, if I'm targeting larger fish or fish that are very, very finicky and only wanting to feed on the bottom, I have another one that's called a creek leech. And uh, we actually did a, uh, I think it's on Vimeo on that one. If you look up uh, Living Water Fly Fishing on Vimeo, I think that's where I uploaded that one too. So you can see a step-by-step -step on the creek leech as well. Okay. All right. Terrific. Terrific. Okay, uh, let's see here. Um, so we talked about uh, those are a couple of flies. What, what are other flies that you might use on Brushy Creek? Uh, just uh, um, So, man, like I would say if you're just going to like not list patterns and kind of list like kind of food groups because the pattern listings could get so long nowadays. I, I mean, really, I would say you need some small bait fish imitations. And by small, I mean like eights and tens and possibly even a couple of twelves. Uh, where it's kind of that river minnow size, a little bit more slender. Clousers aren't exactly a, a bad idea, but they just need to, like I typically make them out of like craft fur or something that has a little bit more motion than bucktail. Just because our water is so clear, these fish are very discerning. This is not a place for a two-aught bass popper that's bright chartreuse. That you will, you will go, ahead, you'd go home with your head hung low. You're really having to match the hatch here. Uh, and so from the bass perspective, you know, small bait fish, Small crayfish imitations right on the bottom do a really great job. And then even damselfly and dragonfly nymphs can come in really handy because they kind of they bridge the gap. They're a carp fly primarily, but they do actually do quite well on our sunfish and bass. There's a, there's a friend of mine. He actually used to work at Living Waters. Now he's got his own uh, fly production company called Fly Geek Custom Flies. Now his name is Matt Bennett, and Matt is a dear friend of mine, and he ties a couple of patterns that are just absolutely just prove their effectiveness in the hill country. And two of them that I use the most, especially on Brushy Creek, you've got one called the Rio Getter that's after it's a Rio Grand cichlid fly that literally catches everything that will put it in their mouth. It's ridiculous how many fish that thing will catch. Now, and you've got another one called the Carpet Bomb. That's a very effective fly. And the one that really made a name for uh, his production business was the Lunch Money. And Umpa actually produces that fly now. And it's a very, very great pattern for Brushy Creek in the smaller size. So, I mean, I, I, anything that he ties is great. I've got a lot of patterns that I've developed for it, and uh, we have a few more that, uh, that we've done in store as well that are just absolutely effective in our creek. I love it a lot. Okay. okay. Um, Jim in Cincinnati wrote in and says, Euro rigs, mono rigs, they're everywhere. Does this trickle down to warm water fisheries? 
Um, I guess it could if you wanted it to. Tightlining uh, a bass in fast water can be effective, and I have done it. Um, I would say that like our the bulk of our Euro rig fishing and all the mono stuff, you're going to find a lot more of that down on our tailwater on the Guadalupe River. It's primarily a trout thing. Okay. But you can see some of that, and, and even some of those techniques do apply in a warm water scenario, like, for instance, in the fall, like right before winter sets in, a lot of times Rio Grande cichlids will actually set up in a group in small schools and they'll nymph. They'll actually sit there and pick up nymphs off the bottom or in the drift. And doing a tight line method for those actually works really, really well. And I do that a lot. Um, and so, I mean, that, it's something that it's not the only way to get it done, but it can be really beneficial to know how to kind of adjust your tactics for fish yeah. that are really glued to the bottom. Yeah, we did a, I did a really good interview with George Daniel about in his latest book, uh, Nymph Fishing. But um, he basically covers, and you can find this interview on our, on our website, but, but he talks about all the techniques, whether it be, you know, contact nymphing, as many people are calling it now, or euro-nymphing, or, or indicator nymphing, suspension, you know, nymphing, that they all have their place. Every one of them has their place, and you just have to learn which one to use in the right place. <laughs> yeah, and it, so, it, it literally is. It's tools in the toolbox. Yeah, yeah, and uh, one thing doesn't fit all, and if you think that way, then you won't catch fish, <laughs> so, um, or not as many, let's put it that way. Yeah, good. Um, let me uh, take a quick break, and then we'll talk about the Guadalupe River, and uh, there we'll, we'll be talking some trout, right? Absolutely. Okay, be right back. Fly Fishers International needs your support. It's conservation Projects in both the national and club level are addressing critical issues of importance uh, to fly fishers. The organization provides grants to help with restoration habits like Wolf Creek in Idaho, Sands Creek in Delaware County, New York, and funds projects that collect valuable data about fish in their habitats like the Peacock Bass Study in Miami, Florida. Fly Fishers International core values remain unchanged to serve as a strong advocate for fly fishing in all waters for all fish, to preserve and promote the arts of fly casting and fly tying, and to help ensure future generations continue to enjoy these one-of-a-kind experiences. These efforts won't be as nearly as effective without your help. If you're not already a member, we invite you to join Fly Fishers International as they work to cultivate conservation, education, and community within the sport of fly fishing. Join Fly Fishers International today and help support their fine work. For more information, go to their website at flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. Are you listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio? We're talking with Chris Johnson about fishing the Texas Hill Country. If you'd like to ask Chris a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and fill out that form on the, the page there, and we'll get your questions right away, and we'll try to answer them on the show. Okay, Chris. Um, Let's talk about the Guadalupe River, and uh, where is it Where is it at uh, from Round Rock? So it's about, uh, I would say, an hour and 20 minutes south. Uh, it's going to okay. be very, very close to New Braunfels, Texas, uh, and a lot of people are familiar with that. It's, uh, you know, not too far north from San Antonio. So it, it's a little bit further south, but definitely in the hill country, has some amazing topography and some really high cliffs on the river. But it, it is, I would say, kind of the anomaly in Texas. It is a year-round tailwater trout fishery. Okay. And uh, how does it flow? Is it uh, from that to, is it, there's a, so there's a dam there uh, being tailwater? Yeah, so it, yeah it's going to come out of the base of Canyon Lake. 
and that, that impoundment there, the water comes off the bottom of the dam. Water comes out of the dam, I think it's somewhere in the, you know, typically it's in the mid-50s, 55, 54, somewhere in there. Um, and then it progressively warms as you go downstream. Um, but the upper, I would say the upper like four to five miles of that fishery do have the capability, even on extremely warm years, provided we have a decent amount of water flow, it has the ability to sustain and in even some cases reproduce, have wild spawn trout on a year-round basis. So it, it's just incredible. So you've got trout, both browns and rainbow trout. But the other thing that's really crazy about this is that you still have largemouth bass, Guadalupe bass, smallmouth bass, striped bass, all your different array of sunfish, and then a few other species that were introduced that are in there all the time as well. So you can literally kind of freewheel your tactics all over the place in the course of a day. It's just incredible, the diversity within one river. You said um, you do have some, uh, you know, some native fish there that, uh, you know, have held over and spawned or whatever. Because it looks like, you know, like Odom's catching some pretty large fish. Those don't look like stalkers to me. <laughs> so so uh, they the held over, are right? pretty large. Yeah, so some of the, we do have holdovers on a year-over-year -year basis. And that's actually personally my favorite part of that fishery is I enjoy fishing it like after summer is over, everything starts cooling off, but we don't have, it typically only gets stocked in the late fall and winter. So you're really only, only going to see stockings occur uh, from two different entities. Our Trout Unlimited chapter, which is the largest in the world actually, I think they garner almost 6,000 members. So Guadalupe River Trout, member, or Trout Unlimited is massive. It's a very, very big chapter. Uh, I was on the board there for several years. And the thing that's really great about what they do is they put a lot of the larger fish in the river. So, I mean, our stockers can get quite big. This isn't a little, oh. you know, 8 to 10-inch stocker. They're putting, a, you know, 16 to 18-inch fish in on average. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, so, so they're big. And the, the state, Texas Parks and Wildlife, actually puts in the smaller fish, and they sprinkle those all up and down the river. So it, it's kind of funny because every winter you go through there and you catch all these different, what look like different year classes of fish, but they were all put in that year. The holdovers really separate themselves by the fact that you're going to see a much more muscular, lean fish with very vibrant color. And we caught a bunch. And when I say a bunch, I mean a bunch of wild fish this past October, November, where we were catching little, you know, four- and five-inch rainbows, that there wasn't a stocking truck that had been there for, I guess, is what is like eight months or whatever. So there's no way those fish came off a truck. They were, And they just looked completely different. And it was really cool because Texas Parks and Wildlife came out and did some electroshocking to document it because we had such a good wild spawn this year. So it was very encouraging. And um, as far as what about uh, floating that river? That that's one of the best ways. Yeah, that's one of the best ways to get around. I wouldn't do it in a kickboat. I'd actually do that in a kayak, canoe, or, you know, once again, like maybe a personal raft, something like that. Um, okay. Kickboat, there are some rapids on it that are a little hard to negotiate, especially in higher flows you're going to wind up kind of getting out and portaging a little bit. But the thing that we use a lot of our boats for on the Guadalupe, especially from a solo standpoint, like we'll fish out of the raft. We, we use a uh, – we have a couple of boats we use. We have like obviously like a full outfitter raft. We use like Air Super Duper Puma. Uh, and then we also have one of the Smithfly Big Shoals rafts that we use for when it gets a little skinnier or if we're trying to go access some harder access points on the river. But you can do any raft on there. But the kayak and canoe option – allows you to literally pull the boat over, get out and wade, because most of the river is wadeable, but there's some very, very deep pools that connect those runs. And, and so that's something that when you're going and doing the riffle run thing, the pools can be, you know, 
there's pools on that river that are probably 12 plus feet deep in some of the deep ones, so you're not exactly going to wade through that. So the, the kayak and canoe make a way for you to kind of make your way through and then kind of post up somewhere else. So it's a really great way to navigate it. The, um, okay. The, and what's the access like for wading if you're <laughs> just wading that river? Not great. That is, yeah, so the, the thing that's funny about this is there is access on the river. Unfortunately, the Guadalupe is one of these rivers that it is pretty much from the dam all the way down to the kind of the end of the trout fishery. It is predominantly privately owned on each side with no, like, public parkland or anything like that. So there is some free public access near the dam, but most of it is pay-to-play access. And I know that doesn't sound fantastic when you first hear it, but what I mean by that is there are, like, for instance, there's some sections of river that you can wade. Oh, gosh, you can probably wade two to three miles of river from a single access point. So you're paying $10 to park. But once you get in, the river is public. So you can go wade up and down this thing as much as you want. Okay. It's just okay. you kind of have to pay to get in. So that's, that's the one downer on that river is just the lack of public access that is free of charge. But the pay-to-play access is extraordinarily abundant. And what kind of, what kind of fee did the people charge for that? It's, it's, normally, it's normally $10 a head. $10 a head? It, okay. it, yeah, that or 10 bucks a car, excuse me. It's normally, it's basically kind of a parking pass. You're paying $10 to park your car somewhere. Okay, on private land, basically, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, any particular strategies or techniques you use on the Guadalupe? Yes. Uh, if you're doing the trout thing, I would say, obviously, I know a lot of people love streamer fishing, and I, I am one of those people, but you do need to use a sinking line just to get that fly down. There's not a whole lot of times I'll fish a streamer on a floating line. I use a scientific angler seamless density line a lot, and they make that in two different weight classes. They have like a type 1, type 3 that works really, really well when our river's not flowing that fast, and they make a type 3, type 5 that is a really, really great line for when the river's up and flowing, you know, more like four to 500 cubic feet a second or higher, and that's a great streamer technique. You know, you can use buggers and, uh, you know, stuff like Craven's Pattern, uh, the Dirty Hippie, stuff like that. Those all work really, really well. Uh, as well as I've even used, like, uh, I custom tie a bunch of little, like, kind of micro Dalai Lamas. Those things just absolutely murder on that river. But those are all great patterns, but the, I would say 80 to 90% of your game is going to be a nymph game. Uh, and it's going to be mostly kind of suspension nymphing under an indicator. Uh, you know, you're following the little bouncing ball down the river, and then it goes under and you set the hook. But it is not, I mean, like, I have some really great friends that, I'm, that are just renowned tailwater fishermen like Pat Dorsey. He loves the Guadalupe River. It, it cracks me up, actually. Like, he uh, he gets so jazzed about fishing that river, and I'm like, man, you, you're like home, your wheelhouse is Cheeseman Canyon. And it's yeah. like, he loves fishing the Guadalupe River. And he's caught some phenomenal fish on his flies, same technique, same everything, just our river. So, I mean, the kind of the old yeah. adage of a tailwater is a tailwater anywhere you go, that's the truth. It's a small bug river. You're using 18s and 20s. You know, and these fish are hot. I mean, you hook them, and they're all over the place, and our holdovers get real discerning. I mean, they're, they're a difficult fish to catch. So, it, I mean, it's really cool. We have a really great time because it, it brings out the best in your technical anglers and even your Euro nymph guides. Yeah, yeah. But, and Pat, you know, he guides, yeah, on uh, Cheeseman, you know, and, and South Platte there. And, and that's a tough place, you know, to fish. Oh, yeah. 
Um, so, you know, he's, he's like one of the best. And, uh, yeah, we've, we've done a couple agree. interviews with him, too, on the show, so people can check out uh, Pat Dorsey. Uh, what's interesting, I'm going to interview uh, Tam Camisa, uh, Tim Camisa next uh, show, and we're going to talk about, you know, how, how well does your fly rod, flies, and techniques travel, you know? And uh, so mm -hmm. we're going to kind of address that. And he brought up a good point, I think, because I had asked earlier, well, what flies are you using? And you, you kind of hesitated, but the, you know, the, the real answer is, well, if there's mayflies and there's caddis and there's, you know, and there's midges, uh, probably everything you have in your box is going to work, you know. Uh, you might fish them differently, but, uh, hey, the bugs are bugs, right? So It's true. Uh, uh, yeah. One of the most stressful places I've ever packed to travel is actually fly fishing Hawaii. Hawaii. Uh, we went, yeah, Hawaii, actually. We, we went to Kauai, and a lot of people don't know this. There's a wild trout population in Kauai. And there's a trout, rainbow trout have been there for, I think it's 100 years or something like that. So I'm packing micro rods with little bitty dry flies, but in the same bag, I've got a, you know, 10 weight for giant trevally with massive poppers, and then there's, you know, 8 weights for bonefish and all this stuff. So, I mean, and we even had stuff in there for smallmouth and peacock bass, because they've got all that on one island. And so it was wow. just one of those places that I had everything from trout to giant trevally, and you could realistically, in Kauai, go catch you a rainbow trout in the morning, drive down on the beach, and go fish for bonefish. It's, it's unbelievable. So, I mean, it, it's just one of those things that, you know, packing, you have to think your way through of, like, I'm not too concerned about exactly what's the right pattern or what's the hot fly. I really want to know what my food groups are and match my sizes, my right. colors, or, or dominant insects. And if you're kind of batting in the wheelhouse of your browns, your tans, your olives, and your creams, you're going to make yeah. something happen somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it, it's yeah. not rocket science. Yeah, yeah. Chris in Memphis, Tennessee wrote in and says, is there any one specific time or place that is seemingly better than the rest of the year if you're wanting to target Guadalupe bass or Rio Grande perch? So for Guadalupe bass, they're, I would just say avoid winter. It, they can be had. Like if that's the only time you can come here is December and January, that's fine. We'll, we'll do our very best to put you on one, and we'll – You'll, you'll probably walk away with one. I'm not going to say you're going to go home empty-handed. You'll probably come away with a handful of them. But if you want to go have, like, a lights-out day, it was those two months that I really mentioned, kind of that, that May and October, and then, you know, kind of the season in general, that spring and fall, those are great. And then summer for Rio Grande cichlids, they're not really a perch, they're a cichlid. Um, oh, but they, 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 it's really interesting because they're – there's nothing else like them, and, they, and you don't see these in the Guadalupe River below the tail race because it's too cold. Cold water can actually kill that fish. I've seen them die when the when when I've seen a river like a river, the edge of it freeze here, and I saw dead Rio Grande cichlids because they just couldn't stay warm enough. So it's a it's a tropical fish really, and it's it's interesting. Yeah. But their feet their feet yeah, I mean, are so different because yeah no they they sell them yeah. at pet stores. They honestly yeah. Do. Uh, yeah. Don't ever, don't ever keep a wild one though. I did that for like three days, and due to the fact that they do nothing but spit rocks at the glass all night, not a good idea. He, he went back to the creek real fast. Um, <laughs> but yeah, insomnia was not my friend. Uh, the thing that was really interesting about those fish though is like sunfish and bass. Being that actually a lot of people don't know this, but like a largemouth bass, Guadalupe bass, they're actually in the sunfish family. The sunfish is the greater, greater family on that. And they all feed very similarly in the sense that they, you know, flare their gills, open their mouth, and they suck in their prey. Cichlids have, like, the most nimble mouths. They actually go physically pick up the fly with their lips and teeth off the bottom of the river. And when they eat something, they, their mouths are really small per their body size. So a lot of times with Rio Grande cichlids specifically, 
my biggest fly size for those is typically like a size 12. I don't fish a very large fly. Uh, my favorite size for them is a 14, and I catch some really, really big ones. Yeah. But that's, it's incredible. They're, they're super unique fish, but if you kind of target that spring and fall, both of those fish are you know, available through the summer, but the Rio Grande cichlids get really difficult to catch when they're spawning because it's so weird. The front half of the fish, it literally goes bicolor. The front half goes just as white as a sheet, and the back half of the fish is you know, charcoal to almost black when they're defending their nest. Wow. And they can, cool. they can switch that color on and off in literally a second. It's wow. amazing to watch, and they are the meanest fish in fins. You find me a freshwater <laughs> fish in, the, in America that is rougher and tougher than that. I mean, like, that has that kind of attitude, and I'll be shocked. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, we've got just a few minutes left, so let's uh, finish up with the, the Llano River. Um, okay, so if you're going to pronounce it correctly, it would be the Llano. If you're out Llano. of state, it's the Llano. Yeah, it, it's the Llano if you're going to do it correct. If it's out of state, it's the Llano. If you're from Texas and actually want to be understood around here, it's the Llano because we slaughter Spanish. <laughs> that is, like, there is no, I mean, the Guadalupe River, that is not what that's called. So it, it would definitely not be pronounced like that. So we're not trying to offend anybody. It's just we are generally awful at Spanish. Uh, so the, the Llano River. But you're right next door. <laughs> I know. We're, we have no excuse. We're, we're just awful at it. I think it's just because Texas just didn't care when we started making names. And it's like, I mean, Amarillo, for crying out loud. That's that's awful. That's, so, that's, yeah. yeah, that'd be what? Uh, Amarillo? Amarillo? Yeah, Amarillo. Yeah, Amarillo. So, which is technically yeah. yellow. But, yeah, that's, it, it's funny. We just, we're no good at it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... But, the, the, the Llano River. <laughs> okay. Well, I got one out of state, Spoken. right? right? <laughs> Spoken like a true Texan. Well done, sir. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so where is it from uh, Round Rock? So it could be uh, it, it kind of west-northwest of Round Rock. Uh, you can pretty much just cut a due west track out of Georgetown, which is 15 minutes north of us. You just head out Highway 29, head west, and you wind up running into multiple river access points along Highway 29. I would say, like, some of the best access points are going to be kind of in your main towns. You're going to have uh, the town of Llano, which, by the way, if you ever go there, you got to eat at Cooper's Barbecue. Um, it's, oh, it's stupid good. It's, it's really good. So um, go there, get the smoked sirloin, get their pork ribs, get a little jalapeno sausage. It's all you can eat beans inside and stuff inside. It's really, really good. <laughs> um, you, you, so go fish, eat, go fish again. You will thank me later. It, 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 you will, but just be aware that your eyes can get bigger than your stomach when you're ordering it literally off the pit. So it's good. Yeah. Um, but the Lano, Lano River is great. Through Lano, this is one river that I will put a little caveat in here and say that the flood that we had, it was October of 2018. Uh, we had a massive, like, I mean, it was historic flood. It was like, I think in the town of Llano, it was all of like the, I think it was only like a foot or two, I think it was two feet lower than the all-time record since, you know, any sort of recording ever took place. So, I mean, it was cataclysmic. Um, with that, the upper river seemed like it fared a little bit better. The lower river just got washed out. It moved so much sand around. Uh, there's a lot of that pink granite rock that Central Texas is really famous for. But as you head west to towns like Castell, Mason, stuff like that, those towns, I feel like the, the fishing stayed a little bit better through there. Llano, I think, is starting to recover. So we're starting to see that. But if you want, like, we just did this in, uh, a couple of months ago. 
we went to a, a little fly fishing event called Oktoberfish down on the Llano River in Junction, which that's where the two North and South River meet. The fishing was phenomenal. Like the North Llano fished as good as I've ever seen it. Like it was lights out. It, I mean, and it's crystal clear, easy to wade. It was a blast. And the South Llano fished well too. So I mean, those rivers, even though that's where the flood originated, it just didn't seem like the fish populations took the hit as bad. And when you go out to Junction, I'm going I'm to do this too. I'll throw another shameless barbecue plug in here. If you are in Junction, Texas, you need to eat at Lums Barbecue, L-U-M-S. Lums Barbecue is what's up. Like, you will. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, man, I can eat my way through this state, and I don't I don't look like I could. I'm a pretty thin dude. but it's No, I was going to say from your picture, it doesn't sound like you're eating all this barbecue, but. Oh, my gosh, man. It's, I mean, like, seriously. I guess I just need to fish hard enough to work it all off. But, uh, yeah, yeah Lums Barbecue Injunction, you'll, you'll love me for it. And then there's also another really good diner in town called Isaac's. But the, the thing that's great about that is that South Llano is actually one of the places that does have pure strain, like genetically pure Guadalupe bass. And a lot of people didn't know this until last year when Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, actually did the surveys. Brushy Creek, of all places, actually has genetically pure Guadalupe bass. And very few rivers in the state can boast that anymore due to smallmouth stocking because they hybridize. Uh, much like you have with the kind of cutthroat trout and rainbows out west, we have the same problem with smallmouth and Guadalupe's. So it's really cool that uh, within the Llano River, the South Llano River is pure, genetically perfect Guadalupe bass, as is Brushy Creek. Uh, so both of those, if you're trying to catch one that's like, you know, cream of the crop, those are the places to go. The North Llano River is just incredible fishery, had a great mix of sunfish, good Guadalupe's, and the Rio Grande cichlids were thick in there this fall. We had an absolute blast. Mm. Sounds great. Sounds great. Any particular, uh, what, what about the, the, the float and wade uh, uh, The South Llano, I would say, is almost strictly a float river. It's really deep okay. in certain portions and then really shallow in others kind of a similar principle with Guadalupe. You've got to use the boat to get through the deep stuff, and then you get to get out and fish the shallow or kind of fish the banks out of, out of your drift boat or kayak or whatever as you go down. Um, the rest of the Llano, like down near Llano itself, that's very wadeable. In fact, there's some sections that you can wade for miles, uh, and it's there, there's nobody that goes in there. I mean, you've got the place to yourself 90-plus percent of the time. When I go to the Llano, I'm normally the only one fishing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and uh, Jim from Texas was asking about the flood a couple of years ago. I think he already addressed that, so I think we're good to yeah. go on that. And um, any particular strategies or techniques you do differently on that river? On that river, um, it kind of depends on where you go. I think a lot of the hill country techniques kind of remain the same in the okay. sense of, you know, I, I typically use a smaller fly than most of my, uh, you know, other guide buddies and stuff like that. I fish pretty small a lot, but there are times when you can go gun for bear, uh, and that's on, you know, your cloudy, your rainy days and stuff like that, where you can get away with a bigger tippet size, bigger fly size, or your, you know, peak activity period, like, you know, pre-spawn bass and stuff like that can be really good. Um, but that, that's something that I would say, like, you know, pick your days if you want to go swing for the fence. But by and large, I mean, using your standard kind of trout sizes, where your streamers are a size 8 to size 4, and then your, you know, your general, like, larger damselflies, dragonflies are going to be like 10, 12, and then your, your sunfish patterns can drop all the way down to a 14. But, you know, mid-sized flies do really, really well on that river. So don't think you have to go buy a 2 op bass fly to go make it happen down here. A lot of what people already own, like a bully bugger, for instance, in a size 10, 
will get it done on that river. So, I mean, don't think you don't already own some of the stuff to get it done. Uh, one more question. Phil wrote in here on the Internet. He says, Chris mentioned striped bass in the Guadalupe River. Uh, have stripers oh, surprised Chris when he was fishing for other fish by attacking the fish he hooked? It actually happened to one of our guides, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. Uh, they were fishing an egg pattern for trout, and from the looks of the pictures, it looks like the trout grabbed the egg, the striper grabbed the trout, the trout spit the hook, the striper got pinned, and they landed a really good-sized striper. Uh, I mean, that thing was probably, I don't know, just from the pictures, it probably looked like six pounds or so. Uh, I mean, they landed a really good-sized bass on 5X tippet in a 5 weight. But that's, <laughs> that's, it's really crazy, but there are some gigantic striper in that river. It's mm. probably been... It's probably been six or seven years ago now. Uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife actually did an electroshocking collection for striper because they didn't get enough brood fish from one of their other regular spots. And so we told them, we're like, hey, we've got some really big ones. Come shock them up. So they did. They shocked up. I think they only shocked, like, it was probably a quarter mile of water. It wasn't much. They shocked up five striper. The, two, the smallest one, excuse me, was 25 pounds. The two, the two largest, they shocked up five. The two largest were 47 and 48 pounds. My God. Yeah, they'll, they'll These are trout all day long. <laughs> oh, my gosh. If they, get, if they yeah. get any bigger than that, I'm not wet waiting. So, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's, it's ridiculous. And, I mean, I can take you to a pool right now where I physically watched, uh, you know, a 25-plus pound striper. I mean, he's right beneath the boat. I mean, you can see him. So, I mean, they're, they're discerning. They're, they're kind of the river monster, if you will. They're a lot of fun to chase. I have caught some good ones. Um, and there's people that really specialize in going out there and targeting them. So, I mean, there's you, you run into You have to specifically fish for them most of the time. But, yeah, they will totally eat a trout off your line. Absolutely. Interesting. Interesting. Well, that's, a, that's an exciting story to end the show with. But, uh, unfortunately, we've got to wrap it up here. And um, when we return, uh, we're going to be giving away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and uh, one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. Uh, and we'll also be giving away a book from uh, courtesy of Stackpole Books. Want to find out more about Stackpole Books? Go to stackpolebooks.com and you can see all the publications they have out there. Uh, just a wealth of uh, information on fly fishing. But um, Chris, stick with me here. We're going to give away that prize. I want to help you. I, I'm going to need your help, in fact, to determine the right answer to the question. I'm going to ask here, so um, uh, stick with me, and uh, we'll do these giveaways here in just a minute. Reeling and Healing Midwest is a nonprofit organization that champions fly fishing retreats for women surviving and battling all types of cancer. Their mission is to introduce women to the healing powers of the sport of fly fishing and provide a one-of-a-kind experience on and off the water. This is accomplished through the elements of fly fishing, positive camaraderie, peer coaching, a nurture and support network, which in, in turn renews the spirit and hope of each participant. Reeling and Healing Midwest is in need of trout flies, waders, leaders, fishing equipment, and other items. To view their current wish list and to learn how you can support their retreats, visit fishon.org. That's fishon.org. Or you can call them at 616-855-4017. That's 616-855-4017. Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our home page in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on that link, leave your comments, and we'd really appreciate it. But now it's time to give away uh, some of the great prizes we have. And uh, the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. 
And if you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late now, but make sure you do so for the next show. You don't want to miss out on your chance to, to win some of these incredible prizes we have. Uh, if you are the lucky winner in the drawing, we'll contact you after the show and provide you with information on, on how you can receive your prize. Uh, so the first thing we're giving away is a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International. And to learn more about Fly Fishers International, go to flyfishersinternational.org. Again, that's flyfishersinternational.org. And um, great, great, uh, as you heard the uh, commercial uh, before, great organization to support with their conservation efforts, uh, their fly casting, their fly tying. Uh, they're just a great organization. Uh, looks like uh, I fired up the database here. And our selection is John Routhier, or Routhier in New Hampshire. So John, uh, you are the winner of a one-year membership to uh, Pie Fishers International. So uh, I'm sure you're going to enjoy that. Our next giveaway is um, one-year subscription to the Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And you can learn more about it at amatobooks.com. Check out amatobooks.com. They, too, are great publishers of uh, all things fly fishing. So check them out. Uh, our winner for that is Bill Riley in Florida. Bill Riley in Florida. So congratulations, gentlemen, on winning uh, those prizes tonight. And I'm sure you'll, you'll both enjoy them. And now we'll give away, thanks to Stackpole Books, uh, uh, one of their books. I have a whole list of books that I'll send you if you are the winner, and then you can pick and choose which one you want. We'll get it sent out to you. So uh, on the home page of our website, there's that place where you could ask questions during the show. And this is where you're going to put in your answer for these questions. Okay. Uh, so actually, I have two questions here. You can answer either one of the questions, Okay, and you can win. So um, you can either list five fish that we talked about tonight, or you can list one barbecue joint that, that Chris talked about. <laughs> so uh, uh, one barbecue joint or five fish species that we talked about tonight. So what do you think of that, Chris? <laughs> I'm loving the way that's going, because a lot of times I get five fish and plenty of barbecue, so we're good. Yeah, I'm just wondering how many people wrote down the barbecue. I would, uh, you know, I, I mean, I have the luxury of having the show here all recorded and everything, <laughs> but because uh, I used to watch the, I'm, I'm a real foodie, so I used to watch the, you know, shows on Food Network, and so they'd be, you know, doing, they're doing pieces on the chefs and stuff in different cities, and then I was traveling for business. So everywhere I went, you know, I'd go to these restaurants that I saw on the Food Network, and uh, had some pretty incredible food. It was a lot of fun to, you know, have these in your in your contact uh, database as you're traveling, and then okay, well, such and such barbecue, well, check it, that out. Yeah. Oh yeah, and and if you ever stop through Round Rock, we've got some incredible. It's not just barbecue. We've got some great eateries here, and Austin yeah. obviously has more more than can be counted, but. Yeah, if you want to fish and eat your way through the hill country, just call me when you before you come, and I will. I literally can map dot you places. It'll be good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot of fun to travel and eat. And I remember one place. I think it was in Arkansas. I think it was in Arkansas. Yeah, I, I was looking for catfish, you know. And so they told mm -hmm. me about a place, and it was like twenty miles out of town, down this dirt road, and it's really dark. And all of a sudden, you see these lights. You know, out in the middle of nowhere, and here Start hearing banjos. This restaurant out in the middle of nowhere, packed with people and fried catfish, and you know, so uh, it was great. I got one here. Um, 
Uh, I've got uh, uh, Copper Barbecue. Is that one of them? No, it's not. No. It was, it was a different name. Copper, okay. it, it's close. Could have been it's a title, close, but not Copper. Hard. Okay. Nope. Um, okay, the next one up is Lums. Uh, and that was one, right? Oh, no, it's not, is it? Chris, you with me? I'm still with you. Oh, the, the second guess was Lums. Yeah, that is correct. Okay, and uh, that's from Lee Smith in Sandy Hook. Uh, awesome. I don't know which Sandy Hook that is, but um, uh, I just found out there's a whole bunch of Sandy Hooks in the United States. Not all of them <laughs> the place where the disaster happened, but... Uh, Certainly. Um, but, um, yeah, so, Lee, you are a newer listener. I haven't seen your name before. But um, what you do is you fill out that same form and put in your address for me, and uh, your shipping address, and then we'll get this. I've got your email address. I've got your name. I will send you a list, and then you'll get to pick uh, from one of the books on that list. So fill that out. Give me your address, and then I'll shoot you over an email, and uh, you can have fun browsing through this list of books. So, uh, so thanks, and thanks for paying attention. And uh, I just let's see if Rod Brescher's got this right. Uh, he was the next one up. Uh, red ear for fish. Red ear, bluegill, Rio Grande cichlids, uh, bass, Guadalupe bass. He got quite a few of them there, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say he he did good. Are you sure yeah, he did biology? good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, anyway, um, yeah, good. Uh, so congratulations, everyone, and thanks for paying attention and taking good notes and uh, listening to, to Chris share his uh, wealth of knowledge tonight. And Chris, say we really appreciate you being on the show. It was a lot of fun. You made it easy for me, and you got me all jazzed to come down there and do some fishing now. <laughs> it's no, it's kind of like – Thank you. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, what was that box of chocolates? You go, you know, you don't know what you're going to get when you go down to the river. That sounds kind of it exciting. It is absolutely you know? the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, and that it, same to you as well as everybody listening. If y'all ever in the area, uh, give myself or the shop a call and uh, just kind of find out what's going on. And then if you're yeah. uh, want to stay in touch with us, social media is a great way to do that. And so just uh, hop in on Facebook or Instagram, and we'll uh, answer as many questions as we can. So if we didn't get to your question tonight or you didn't know what you needed to ask. Just give us an email, shoot us something on Instagram or Facebook, and we will do our very best to make sure you're informed. Terrific. Thanks. Thanks for, off, for that offer, and uh, I'm sure people will take you up on it. Um, so hopefully everybody's found the archive on our website uh, at the top line on our menu. It's now listed as Podcast Archive. If you go in that uh, archive, you can search for just about anything you want. Um, in a, another day or so, you can search for Texas and cichlids and Guadalupe bass and and you're going to find uh, shows on these things. And, uh, and any, anything else that you might think of, uh, just, just put in a couple keywords and see what pops up. You know, it's a wealth of information for you. Over 300 shows now, over 300 shows uh, on Ask About Fly Fishing. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's like the Library of uh, Congress now of <laughs> podcasts. But, uh, enjoy. Our next broadcast will be on February 5th, uh, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, I'll interview... Uh, Tim Camisa, and our topic for the show will, does your fly rod, flies, and techniques travel well? Well, we'll find out. Chris, uh, I should say, um, Tim, uh, you know, whether you're going to be going to a famous location, a new stream, or a nearby watershed, 
traveling is kind of a common theme for many of us fly fishing. So during this podcast, Tim's going to talk about some of the methods that have helped him be successful, both in his home state, which is Pennsylvania, and also in recent uh, destinations, including Iceland, Wyoming, and more. So tune in and see. We talked about that some tonight about, you know, hey, some of those flies in your box can work in the Guadalupe, the South Platte, and, and many other places. So uh, check out the next show, and uh, we'd love to have you, have you join us. And don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing. Bye.